church sign as you drove in this morning. You already kind of knew what was coming. If not, you saw it when you got in here. But starting a sermon series on this question that I think we see a lot in our culture, where is God? Where is God? This morning we'll be talking about when I can't see him. Where is God when I'm hurting? Where is God when I don't believe in him? Where is God when all kinds of situations that we face? And I'm excited for us to discover and be reminded, I think we all know the answer to these questions deep inside our own hearts. We just need to, to come together, to remind each other as we commune together of where God is when we are having a hard time. So I was, I'm reminded of a quote by Augustine, a great theologian of many, many centuries ago, and he was challenged by a pagan who had an idol in his hand, and he said to, to um, Augustine, he's like, here is my God, where is yours? To which Augustine replied, I cannot show you my God, not because he doesn't exist, but because you have no eyes to see him. And we live in a culture, it seems like today, that holds up all kinds of idols and gods, and they are very, very convinced that their gods, their idols are real. And we can observe the repercussions of their idol worship we can watch the lifestyles and the way that they live and act to know that as real as it seems, they really don't have eyes to see the God who is really there. And my desire for us in this series is that God would give each of us eyes to see the God who is there when we don't feel like he is. Now, it may be this morning that you are on the mountaintop and things are going right and everything seems to be righted. God feels real, and indeed he is, It's easy for you to see him and to know that he's there and to believe in his promises. But the fact of the matter is, all of us have read the book of Job, or at least heard it enough to realize that there are our Job moments where it just doesn't feel like God is anywhere near us. In fact, it feels like God is against us. And it's a very natural reaction for the Christian in those moments to wonder where God is. And so we're going to talk, run the gamut in our time together in this series to discuss Where is God in in our moments where we need him so desperately? So if you have a Bible with you or any way to read the scriptures, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Job. Um, It's never appropriate for a pastor to just assume anymore that everyone knows the stories that most of us do. So we're going to read um, a decent section of the beginning part of Job so we can be reminded of his story. It's going to kind of be our, our theme scripture. Throughout this series, um, what Job experienced and his reactions to what is happening around him and maybe a little bit of how we can learn from what the interaction was between the characters in this story. So we're going to first read Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. So get your Bible there, Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, and then we're going to skip over to Job chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. So quite a bit of Scripture this morning. I just want to set for us this good foundation of a biblical account of one man's experience with God and with trials and with questions and with life. Job chapter 1, verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. 
when the period of feasting had run its course, Joe would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this was his regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does, God, does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything that he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out of the presence of the Lord. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered for the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on earth. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still remains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard all about the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him and began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, and no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Let's pray. Lord, there's something about the human condition that identifies with Job's story. For most of us, the events that have brought the story about to having everything literally that he owns ripped away from him, and even his health near to the point of death, and just it, everything that could go wrong could go wrong. And everything that we've held on to in our life is being taken away, and when that's ripped out from under us, it's hard to know what to stand on. It's hard to know what to believe in. It's hard to know who to believe in. And we just pray, Lord, that in our time together today, we could think about where is God in a moment like this when he seems so far away and 
for Job's friends, at least, it seemed like God was against him. And sometimes we can feel that way too, like God has it out for us or he has our number or maybe he's punishing us for something that we've done that we haven't asked forgiveness for and our minds and hearts can run so many different directions. And it's comforting, Lord, to realize that much of this story is already played out in heaven before we're even introduced to how it affects our life. So we ask, Lord, your help today and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. So there's two sides to the question this morning about where is God that I want to deal with for just a few minutes together. We've already taken quite a bit of time to set the stage with the scriptures, but in order to answer the question, where is God, I want to just take a couple of minutes to to answer the question of where isn't God, where God isn't in this, and then it might help us lead us to the place where he is. And the first thing you'll see on the screen is that God isn't in the cause of these disasters. At least for Job's case, God did not cause this. Now, the devil tried to pin it on God. Did you catch that? He said, if you'll do this, then he'll curse you. But God didn't let it play out that way. He said, you can have him, but you know you have your way with him, but there's a limit to what you can do. And I can't tell you how many people I've met in my life that will say something along the lines of, why is God making this happen to me? Or maybe even asking, why is God allowing this to happen to me? People angry at the fact that God is making this happen to them. I've had people come to me in moments of tragedy in my life and say, why would God do this to you? They have a really hard time seeing who God is and who God isn't because the power of the moment is so overwhelming to them, they can't grasp a right knowledge and understanding of who God is and who God isn't. For Job, it was never the question of God causing all this to them. But thank God for good Job friends. Those boys who came over to, I mean, they had it all planned out ahead of time. It said in the scripture, they had already planned to meet and they were gonna go and be the best kinds of friends that Job could ever need. I'm being sarcastic now because they ended up um, having to be prayed over at the end. God tells Job at the end of the book, if you remember you know, they need to make a sacrifice. You need to pray over them because they were not speaking right about me in anything that they did or said. But our world tells us today that God is the cause of so much evil. How can he be a good and loving God? And we look at this this amazing behind-the-scenes picture of what happens in heaven as he describes Satan coming almost like to give an account to God of everything that they've been doing and there's many scholars who believe that, that this still happens. It's an intriguing thought. I remember um, talking in seminary, and, and most of the people in the class agreed with this, that you know that the devil isn't in this room right now. Right now, as we're here, the devil is in heaven trying to accuse us before God. And it's all of his minions, all of his followers that are out here doing these works and acts against us. But God remains in heaven with this constant dialogue between him and the enemy who wants to do everything he can to defeat us. Wasn't that Satan's goal in that conversation? It was to get to Job, to push his button enough so that he would curse God and walk away. And that's the devil's design in each of our lives is to get us to the point where we will no longer see God or believe in him. But our world tells us a lie today that it's all God's fault. 
and that he was really the kind of God that we claim him to be, he would never do this to us. Job's story is a reminder to us that much of what happens in our life is not God doing anything, but allowing us to feel the test of life in order the devil might try to prove us wrong and God to prove us right. It always sickens me when I hear someone say, God caused this to happen to me. Are you God? Do you know that? I mean, that's you read the book of Job and God says later on, he's like, do you issue the thunder to echo from heaven? Do you know the measurements of this creation? Were you there, he said, to, to measure the cornerstone of my creation? Were you there to see the, the, the storeroom of hail and snow? Were you there in those moments to have an inkling of what's happening around you? And the insinuation is that only God could be there in that moment and be all that he claims to be. Job's friends have this wonderful moment there, and you'll see on the next screen the next thing I want to say God isn't. He isn't in the criticism of well-meaning friends. I hope that you have really good friendships in your life. I hope you have people that are wise, people that are careful, people that are considerate of both the Scriptures and your own life, people not out just to make a point. And I think that some of us know some people like that. All they really cared about is being right and making sure that you know that they're right. I think the biggest mistake Job's friends made, and this is just my criticism from afar, is opening their mouths. (laughs) It's difficult. I mean, we do everything we can to imagine Job's physical appearance at this moment, to imagine his countenance with everything that had happened to him. And it so shook his friends that they tore their clothes and they sobbed and they sat in silence for seven days. I'm just going to take a side note here for a second and say, when you know someone in your life is hurting, don't feel pressured to say anything. If we could remember something about, as a word, pastor, but it really is something that as believers, pastoral care for those around us is pressure to fix something. Someone's dying of cancer, you're not going to be able to fix it, right? Someone's getting ready to have a surgery. You can't, most of the time, keep that surgery from happening without getting yourself in a lot of trouble. I think the wisest thing Job's friends did is they just came and they, they, they sat with him. They identified with his agony. They were able to look into the heart of their friend without even saying a word and realize that he was crushed and the best thing that they could have done is just to have sat there with him and waited for Job to speak first. Remember a hospital visit early in in pastoral ministry and I had felt a lot of pressure as a young pastor to, you know, really, well, to be honest, to in the hospital room. He knows what to say. He prays the perfect, prays the perfect prayer, and so I went in there with. I kind of had a pre-programmed idea of what I was going to say without having any idea what was going on. So I went in the hospital room and and um, didn't take the time to listen to what everything that has happened. 
I didn't take the time to ask how they were feeling. I just came in the room and said, hi, how are you doing? They said, we're doing okay. I didn't ask any questions for them to dig deeper. So I started to pray, and I just said, Lord, we know that you're here, and we know that you're powerful, and would you power in these people's lives and help them to find joy in the middle of this sorrow? And the next day, I had no idea this was coming. The husband and wife both died. And it wasn't because of what I said or didn't say, but the sisters tried to throw me out of the hospital. This has nothing to do with me, but a previous pastor and the church probably a large. And I just, I was wondering in my mind if I'd have done that differently. So just, that's kind of an encouragement of how to be a really caring friend is when someone is hurting, most of the time, they don't want you to come and tell them how it's going to be okay. Um, They definitely don't want you to come and say, uh, this is all your fault. Never say that. Please don't. (laughs) Even if it's true, be a better friend than that. Just be there and love them and hold them and cry with them. Listen to their heart and what's going on. Because when we're hurting, when we're in agony, when we're desperate, when we're destitute, when we feel like we're alone, the last thing that we need to hear is that it's all our fault, even if it is. The thing that we need to know is that there's a God who loves us. The thing that we need to know is that there's a God who sent his son to die on a cross for us so that we could know that he understands. He endured intense agony. Even to the point of death, he left the glories of heaven. He considered it not even be worth mentioning so that he could be here for us. Someone who left everything in order to understand our situation. I wonder if we're one of those this morning where it's hard to sense God in the midst of trial or tragedy that there's too many voices in our heads. One of the things that I so appreciate about the Quaker tradition is these times of listening and discernment. And I think sometimes we're so quick to speak and so slow to listen. I think there's a Bible verse about that somewhere (laughs) where it says to be slow to Listen, slow to get angry. Be quick to listen. When we don't know where God is, it's important to us to find people around us who know where he is. What an agony for Job to already have endured all of this pain, all of this loss, and then literally have some of the only people left I mean, these are his closest friends. His his children were gone. His business was gone. You know, his servants, all but one from each of these groups was gone. His circle was getting smaller and smaller. And the people that he had to turn to, these may have been the only ones left. And they weren't much more help than his poor wife who told him to get over God and curse him and just put it into it all. 
how important it is for us when we don't know where God is to gather around people that do. Because sometimes we're not able to find this on our own. We need people around us to help point us to the light of our life. So when you're alone, when you feel like you don't know where God is, find some people around you, people from the church, people from your neighborhood that you know are believers and that you know that they have a vibrant experience with God and say, I just can't sense him. Would you come and pray with me? Would you take me out for lunch? I need someone to be there for me when I feel like no one is. Job didn't tell these guys to go away. He didn't say, no, I don't need you to be here. He didn't, as far as we know, pray those seven days where they spent with him just crying together and listening for whatever voices there were to listen to. It was when they didn't meet the need of his heart that he was burdened and God was troubled because he didn't give them the kinds of answers that Job needed to have. So God isn't naturally the cause of these disasters, although could we all agree he allows them? I mean, he said, he's yours except for these limitations. And that's a hard pill for us to swallow sometimes, that God would allow us to go through cancer, that God would allow us to lose a child or to lose a spouse or to lose a relative or to lose a job or all the things that come up in our life. But the scripture also says that God has never left us or forsaken us. It says in the Psalms that there is a God who sticks closer, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that one is Jesus, who is there for us, an ever-present help in our time of trouble, if we will trust in him. So God isn't the cause of our trials. He isn't normally in the criticism of well-meaning friends. But he's always behind the scenes. He's always behind the scenes. One of the things that we don't know about, you know, we get to read this 40-plus chapter book of Job, and we see the whole story, right? We see from that first description of Job being premier among the men of the East, of the east um, to the loss, to these terrible implications of his friends, to God saying, Job, who do you think you are? Were you there when this was all created? Were you there? I love this phrase. God said to Job later on in the book, I believe it's chapter 38, he said to Job, were you there when the stars sang to each other in the morning? I just love that thought. God in the midst of his creation, the stars were singing to each other. And we miss so much of God's creation. And we could preach sermons about how God is in his creation. But I don't know in this revelation of this amazing story if Job was any, anywhere of what had happened before all of this came his way. As I said before, it's like the veil of heaven is rent open and we see all the angels and Satan coming before God and God having them all to give account of what they've been doing. It's interesting to me that God does that because he already knows. <laughs> Interesting how when God asks us questions in our own life, he already knows the answer to them. He just wants to hear us say it out loud. And then we got to work through what we've just said and put ourselves into. But Job doesn't see all of this, I don't believe. He doesn't know everything that's happening behind the scenes. But God has looked upon favor upon Job, and he has seen his life. And there's no accusation of Job in God's eyes of wrongdoing, 
of sin, of wickedness. He says, in fact, have you seen this guy? He's righteous and he is passionate and he is on top of things. He is doing all these things right. And Satan says, well, you've been protecting him. And I think sometimes because God kind of lets the walls of protection down quite a bit, actually, that we just think he stopped protecting us. You know, so we read about Satan's one account, but what about the legions of angels that also gave an account? Do you know what their job is to protect you and I? God's business in heaven is to make sure that his angels are doing their jobs, and their jobs is to watch over you and I. We laugh about this idea of a guardian angel. The Bible says be careful because you might see one of them and not even know who they are. God is always at work behind the scenes, and we seldom seem to realize it or know it. But the fact of the matter it is, many scholars believe right now at this moment, Satan is in heaven's gates, and he is trying to accuse you and I before God, and God's sole purpose is to offer protection and wisdom over you and over me. Sometimes it feels like we're all alone, but God has our greatest enemy at his feet. He has our greatest enemy at his feet. And his only goal for you and I is to lead us into victory. And sadly, friends, sometimes the road to victory is painful. It's scary. It's lonely. It's troubling. It's horrifying. It's difficult. And it causes us to question sometimes, does God really know what he's doing? If you know the book of Job well, then you can open your Bible if you have it. It won't be on the screen to Job chapter 3. The events have kind of transpired now, and Job, um, it's funny to me, the Bible says he opens his mouth. And the first time I remember reading, I'm like, that probably isn't a good idea. (laughs) Silence is golden. But in this chapter, Job just, I mean, he just lays it out there. It's like the Psalms. These guys were passionate about God and about their feelings, and they didn't care who was going to read this. They just laid it all out there. And Job basically says over and over again, I wish I'd never been born. It would have been better for me if I'd have been born and then laid to die, or if I was born as a stillborn child to endure all these things that I were enduring. Why would this happen to me? Maybe it would have been better for me that I would have died as I came from the womb so that I'd been lying to put at rest among the rulers of the earth. He says why, in verse 16, why was then I hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? And Job, like David in the Psalms, is, is as real as a human being could get. He's real. Something that's very hard to do in the church. Can we all agree with that? I mean, when was the last time that you heard someone stand up in testimony time and say, that is so bad that I wish I'd never been born? Oh my gosh. What would people think if you got up and said that? What would the pastor think if you got up and said that? I mean, and it's, it's verse after verse after verse of this man who is 
broken and beaten and down and feels like he's been abandoned and abused and neglected. And he's like, it would have been better for me if I'd have never been born. God, why am I here? Can you hear the questions? If Job is saying, I wish I'd never been here, then why am I here? And why would this tragedy be allowed to be happening to me? But God is in our questions. God is in that expression of that raw and real emotion. And I would have to say, that is not my gift. Actually, let me rephrase that. If the ducks are winning, that is my gift. But besides that, I would say I'm, I'm probably not a highly emotional person, especially if I have something that I can't understand, um, if I have a problem, or if it feels like God isn't doing what I expected. Because I feel like it's my job as a Christian just to clam it up and to tough it out. And I guess there probably are times in our life where God wants us to do that. But there is something that refreshes me when I read the Psalms or I read Job and I just see men and women just 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 regurgitating everything that's happening, just laying it out there before God and pouring out their heart to him. And, as, and in return, God doesn't say, shut up. God doesn't say, I'm erasing that from the Bible because it never should have been there. No, it's there for a reason. It was a reminder for us that this that God invites us into by the relationship with his son Jesus is meant to be as real as a relationship as anything you've ever known. It is meant to be as raw a relationship as any you've ever had. And God is just waiting for us to be expressive of how we feel about the things that we're going through. God is waiting for us to be expressive of how we feel about things that aren't happening, that we wish were. And the longer I walk with the Lord, this realization is more and more that my heart longs for the place and the time in my life and in my journey where I can just lay myself out before God and give him all that I have. And I don't mean surrender, <laughs> that too. But I'm saying, Lord, this is, this is what it feels like to be abandoned. I feel like you've left me. I feel like nothing's happening. I feel like you should be doing something. I feel like this person should be in a better place than they are. And all these things, why is this happening to me? And as I'm able to, to ask those questions and reveal to God this deep core of who I am that I already feel, it's already there. There's just something about talking to it with God, talking it through with God. Just brings this release, this realization that God really does see me as I am. And he's able to work with me in the place that I'm at. The problem that I, in my life, have is that I'm not often able to get to that place. I'm going to be okay. You ever said that to God? I'll be okay. Will you? It's not that big a deal. I'll be okay. I'll figure it out. Scary part of this is it's all about me and I. And every time the Lord reminds me of that, it's like, it's like I'm counting on my own strength to walk through this journey. 
It's almost like I'm unwilling or unable to admit that I can't see God in that moment, so I'm going to do all the hard work because I'm not sure I'm ready to trust him to do what I can't. It's taken me a lot of years, and it's going to be a continual process, I know, for me to get to that point where it's not in my strength I face the dark moments or the valleys. It's not on my own power that I try to get through them or I try to figure them out or I just try to tough it out or maybe I just try to bottle it all up inside so it doesn't blow up and that's my religious duty. When God is really longing for us to be raw and real with him and say, God, where are you in this? What are you doing? Why am I here? I grew up in a church culture. Those things were not allowed to be said either in public or even in your own heart. And I think for those years, I really missed out on the kind of connection with God that I never had. And I'm so grateful that when we have questions, God can us in those moments and answer them. If I fail to cry out to God and ask where he is, then I'll never get the answer to the question. If I fail to say, Lord, why is this happening? I don't know if I'll ever get the answer. I might, you know, whatever the, the you know, job loss, someone's sick, you know, sin has affected us or whatever it is, I might just plow through that whole pain and never grow. I'll just push through. I'll get a few more silver hairs on my head. You know, I only have three or four right now. I'll have seven or eight after And I'll just keep plowing through because I'm strong and I'm obstinate and I don't want to take the time to reveal to God how I really feel. So it's just going to be this kind of, oh, I'm tough and God's going to get me through. And I've missed so much of his intimacy and his care for me and his concern in those moments. When we ask those very difficult questions of life that we know no one else has the answer to but God. as difficult it has been for me to allow God to work in my life to the point where I can ask those hardest questions and be safe asking God something that I was taught was anti-Christian to do. Scarier than that is when someone comes to me and says, Pastor, and then they ask me that question. I used to think that what they really wanted me to do was to answer the question but they don't. They want them to help find the answer to the question on their own. So you point them back to their own heart, to their own experience and all that they're feeling and going through, and then how do we find God to meet us in that moment? Because the the temptation for me is, is when I'm in, you know, because I remember back on those moments where I piled through is I'm just going to bring them alongside and we're going to smash through it all together. We're just going to figure it out, and we're just going to be strong no matter what, and we're going to come out on the other side in victory. And then I'm going to fail to lead them to those intimate moments with God that would have never come to them any other way but there. Because last this morning, you'll see it on the screen, we think about this idea of where is God. God is in the business of redeeming mankind. I've talked with people in my life who believe as Christians that God has it out for them. 
I've got text messages that just, it never, God never stops laying this on me. Life just never stops crashing down on me. It just never seems to end. What is God doing? I read the story of Job in a darker moment and thought, why all of that? Why did God have to allow Job to, to lose everything, to get the bottom of, of his friendships and the bottom of who he was in order to be righted? God said to me, well, how about you? If you're, if you're you know, halfway right side up, then you're going to the rest of the way. Maybe sometimes God allows us to get to the bottom of the barrel so that we realize there's only one who can get us back upright again. Maybe God's purpose in allowing difficult things to happen to us is to cause us to cry out to him in a way that we never have before. If you've ever been in a tragedy, if you've ever lost someone close to you or watched someone die in front of you, some, some of these traumatic things that change your life forever. And you were able to be real and raw with God. One of the things that you will say is, I know more about God now than I would have had any other way. I'm closer to God watching my wife pass away or my husband pass away. I'm closer to God waiting six months for a new job to come than it ever would have been if he had given me that full-time job that never had a break in between. I'm closer to God because I was able to walk with my sister through really difficult moments that crushed both of us than if we'd never had any adversity in our life at all. I think it's natural human reaction to want a bed of roses. We want to have a perfect job, a perfect family, perfect health, all of this, all the way down the list. The fact of the matter is that after the fall, all that got taken away from us. We all have our moments like Job where it feels like life is crashing down. And so where is God in the middle of this? He is in the business of redeeming us. He is in the business of bringing his fruit into and out of our life as we walk through these things together with him. Remember after my first wife passed away, laying in the hospital room, and asking this question, where is God? Where is God with the difficult job I had before the event happened? Where is God, you know, um, we were about ready to have our first child, um, about ready to go into school for ministry. Everything that was about to happen was about to happen. It just felt like everywhere I turned, God was nowhere to be found. I can remember a couple of nights, I, my leg was in traction. They had a tube down my throat. And most of this I don't remember, but maybe 20 seconds of three days I remember. My heart swirling with the emotions of what I just said, along with the agony of everything that was going on. And I can just remember waking up pretty much shrieking and then passing out from everything that I was feeling and physically going through. And I remember one of those moments where I was alert saying, God, where are you in this? Look at me. How can you be here in this? And the implication is, God, you're only going to be here if you fix all of this. 
couple days later, and my body started to heal. I got the tube taken out, and the traction was taken away after the surgery. And I had a pastor come into my room, and he said something along the lines of, how is your faith? And I, I was really weak, and I don't remember a whole lot of what I said. I just remember saying something along the lines of, it's really hard to feel like God is anywhere near me. It's hard to see him in any of this. Everything that I dreamed of is gone. And probably look, it just kind of hit me as I just said that. That was probably the first time I'd ever said anything like that to God. And this kind man just took my hand in his and he says, whether you can see him right now or not, he's in the middle of everything. He's in the middle of it all. And I'm praying that as you talk with him, as you share your heart with him, you'll see him exactly where he is. And friends, that's a journey that you and I have to go through on our own. We need to bring good friends who will sit with us and listen, offer good wisdom. We need to cry out to God in those moments and share him how we really feel. It was only when I was able to do that was God able to come to me and say, I'm right here. Meet me here, and we'll continue on from this moment. So much of the time, we say, all right, God, I am here, and you fix all of this, and then you come back here, and we'll talk. God says, no, I'm here right now. Let's talk right now. Let's stand, and we'll close in prayer. Lord, what an amazing story in this book of this incredible man who was greatest among the men of this part of the world. He was an amazing person in every way, righteous, gifted, good businessman, loving father who concerned about his kids, just going about daily life, loving them and providing a way for their spiritual cleansing, and everything falls apart. And Lord, we've had those moments in our life just doing our normal routine, you know, nothing out of the ordinary, and the bottom falls out. Or it just feels like we're in this knockout, drag-out struggle with life, and every time we turn around, there's something else, and it just feels bewildering, and it challenges our faith. Lord, I think you yearn for the moment where your children can like when my little child is outside and he crashes his bike and his knee's all bloody and he's got gravel in it and his elbow's all scraped up and he's got little pit marks in his hand with little pieces of gravel in there and he just comes just screeching at the top of his lungs. It hurts so bad and it's so real and so present and, and then you do everything you can as a father to clean it up and to patch it up and to make it better and then you go on. Lord, this morning, it may just be as we, as we wonder where God is, we, just, we feel like we're distant from him. And there are a lot of different reasons for that. I just pray this morning, it might be for one or two of us, the fact that we just haven't been able to pour our heart out to you the way that we need to. Ask the questions that need asked. Make the cries that need to be made. Share those deep moments of the heart with the God who created it to begin with. 
Lord, I thank you that you help us to get to that point where we don't just plow through anymore, but we, we take the time to cry. We take the, the time to question. We take the time to ask God the difficult moments. And I'm so grateful, Lord, that you come to us, whether it's in the hospital room, as we walk out to the car from, from a job loss, or go to the hospital to visit a sister or relative, or wherever it is, Lord. In those hardest of moments, you are more real to us, and you are closer to us in our life. Lord, you'd help us to have the authentic kind of relationship that we can, we can cry out to you in those moments where we don't know where you are. Lord, that we can rend heaven with our fear. How are you going to fix this, God? What are you doing? Who do you think you are? Why am I here? Father, in the Bible, you don't criticize people for doing that. Now, you sat Job down and says, now listen, buddy, are you God or am I? But you restored him. You were there with him through every moment. And Father, I pray that you would help us to just have this dialogue with you if, if we don't know where you are. Help us to ask those hard questions. And Father, we know that you'll meet us exactly where we are today. We ask your blessing, Lord, upon our Sunday afternoon. May each of us, Lord, feel you close as we walk this journey with you. And we'll praise you for it in your wonderful name.